following program is in English. Thank you. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. We are discussing two very important issues tonight, with our first interview fitting into the more category of my intro. First things first, Australia lost an icon this week, a real mensch who most of us grew up with watching the TV box, Bert Newton, and who in my very humble opinion was Australia's best ever entertainer. A class act on TV, radio and live theatre, giving us so many memorable moments making us pish ourselves so many times. Our thoughts are with the Newton family, and this is our little dedication to our moon face, Bert Newton, 83. You're tuned into L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more, here on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. Bert Newton, I really, really did like the boy. <laughs> Welcome once again to the Hi-Fi Club. It's nice to have you with us. You think you want to get to the goal? But I have a surprise. <laughs> this, this is going to be a surprise tonight. Well, I, I, I think, think yes. I feel you, feel you feel who out there wins this, it will be a shock. <laughs> I like the boy. <laughs> Roy or Boy? I like the boy. Is something wrong with saying that? Roy. Yeah. Hey, hang on, hang on. No. I'll change religion. I'll do anything for you. I don't, I don't care. What's wrong with saying that? I like the boy. Boy, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I like the man. I like. Oh, yes. Are we facing in the right direction? But if you want to do, I don't care. I'm sorry, Muhammad. I. Uh... What would I do without you? Without me, then? Bertie. Without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I'm nowhere. Without you, my life is stormy. And old pal, I've got no doubt. Without you here fighting for me, they're gonna count me out. For years, they called Bert the best second banana in the business. But in many ways, he's really second to none. Good night. Dr. Andre Obler is the founder and CEO of the Online Hate Prevention Institute, which tackles the rise of online hate and extremism in all its forms. He is also a senior advisor to the American Jewish Congress and is a member of the Australian government's delegation to the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, the IHRA, through which he represents Australia internationally and engages with both international experts and diplomats. It is this role that will be the focus of our discussion. And Andre is kindly joining us from Austria. So welcome to Lechaim, Andre. Thank you for having me. Andre, you're a member of the Swedish government's expert group for the recent Malmo International Forum on Holocaust Remembrance and Combating Antisemitism and attended that forum as a member of the Australian delegation. Could you summarise what the aims of the forum were and to what extent they were realised? 
So the forum was originally planned to run a year ago, and it was uh, celebrating, if you like, efforts that were made 20 years ago to bring countries together to tackle anti-Semitism. This particular forum was different to many of the forums I've been to before because it was really aimed at high-level government representation. So, for example, I was in a working group at one point, a breakout room, where I'm pretty sure that the number of prime ministers that were in that room actually outnumbered the number of non-prime ministers that were in the room. Mm. And the prime ministers were actually not only speaking, but, you know, they were there throughout listening, engaging. They were part of the audience. Normally, if you have a a politician of that calibre, they duck in, make a speech and leave. These ones were actually, you know, the participants. You know, I, I heard not only the planned sessions, but also the private conversations that were going on between political leaders, senior leadership from many of the social media companies were there too. You know, there was a a lot of discussion on what we need to do differently and where people aren't happy with where things are at at the moment. You know, the responses that tech companies have been giving for years were just not being accepted anymore by the political leadership. And there were a number of political leaders there who, who really knew their stuff. I mean, they came across as very strong experts in their own right, rather than just, you know, political figureheads who had been briefed. Right. Australia's commitment to adopt the working definition of anti-Semitism was quite a breakthrough. From your perspective, what's the significance of that commitment? The first part of it really is that as a member of IRA, most of the countries, in fact, almost all the countries have adopted the definition. Australia had a little bit of of slack, if you like, because uh, we've been involved for quite a few years now, but we only became a full member in 2019. So to become a member of IRA, you go through a process of uh, being an observer for a few years and then becoming a liaison country for a few years where uh, another country sort of um, helps you uh, analyse what your country is doing and helps you work out how you can improve. Every country can improve in different ways. So the United Kingdom was our mentor through this process. And uh, Lord Pickles, who was at Melmo as well, has sort of led that delegation and led the efforts to help Australia along. We really needed to adopt the definition to come into line with the other members of IRA. But it also means that the data we gather and the approach we take to dealing with incidents will be the same and based on the same definition as other countries, as other organisations. And that's quite significant because it means we can learn from things that are happening elsewhere in in terms of how we respond. And we can also more effectively take part in global discussions and global engagements on problems that are happening around the world. What sort of level of debate was there about reaching a working definition? In Melmo, uh, it, it wasn't a topic in Melmo at all. Most of the countries have already adopted the definition. You know, there was some discussion from countries about how they operationalize it. So there were some countries that were, you know, talking about, again, focusing on the social media side, focusing on collecting data and actually having auditability and starting to look at regulations. So that's a real shift in discussion. Previously, Germany was a a bit of an outlier in their approach, and I think that's becoming much more mainstream. Australia's taken a a regulatory approach in in other areas like counterterrorism. So I'm not sure how this is going to interact in the local setting in terms of holding tech companies accountable. 
you know, a, a lot of the discussion really was on emerging problems that need to be addressed, but also a lot of focus on new efforts governments are making. There were many millions of dollars promised by different countries to upgrading and creating new Holocaust museums, protecting sites from the Holocaust. You know, we, we heard testimony from Holocaust survivors as well while we were there. There was a feeling that uh, governments are, are doing a lot, but the, the problem is becoming ever more serious. It's almost paradoxical, isn't it, that more and more effort going into it, and yet, as you say, the problem is growing. Yeah, and look, a, a part of that is just the the length of time since the Holocaust, that it's not yeah. part of the living memory of the bulk of the population these days, so people don't realise where it can go. And there's also a, an issue that social media has really accelerated the spread of hate narratives and COVID hasn't helped at all. So all those sorts of interactions were you know, also very much part of the discussion. So what are some of the features of this definition? The IRA working definition of anti-Semitism, and it's one of, I think, four definitions IRA has now. The earliest one was really the working definition of Holocaust denial and distortion, which goes very much to the core of IRA's work. But the definition of anti-Semitism is based on what was the EUMC definition created by a group of experts quite some years ago now. And, you know, when it was turned into the IRA definition, there actually was a, a fair bit of debate and reshaping. And if you compare the two side by side, they're, they're not identical. The examples are all still there. They're all still the same. But the wording of the definition makes it much, much clearer than it was that you need to consider every incident in its own terms. The caveat put in there saying criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic, that was down the bottom of the EUMC definition. It's now right up the top in the IRA definition. So it's been made more prominent. And, you know, it's very clear from the way the IRA definition is used that it's not a stick to beat people, you know, to say you're an anti-Semite. It's a way of looking at an incident, framing your analysis and looking at something in its own circumstances based on the facts. And, you know, if I can speak from my own experience, when I was working for the Victorian Education Department, this was on the inquiry into anti-Semitism at Brighton Secondary, that inquiry used the definition. And it was very useful and very helpful, not only to frame things that were anti-Semitic, but also to examine things that were said to, you know, alleged to be anti-Semitism, which when we looked into them, we said weren't. There were definitely anti-Semitic incidents at the school, but not every single one of the allegations stacked up when it was actually looked at in light of the definition and in light of further analysis. There's also, you know, a lot in the definition, which is at a high level, where you do need to go and do further research and further work. But that's going to be true with any definition. It's true with laws when things go to court. You know, again, I think the definition gives us a really good starting point. It gives us much more consistency. It gives us a framework, but it needs, you know, it needs to be applied with skill. It does mean more people can get into dealing with these incidents and they'll know when they need to go get further help. It's very important, extremely important. Stance being taken by the New Israel Fund Australia and the Australian Jewish Democratic Society, where they both argue that while they're strongly opposed to anti-Semitism, they claim that the definition is increasingly being used to conflate anti-Semitism and criticism of Israel. Is there any evidence that this is indeed the case? Look, I've got to say from what I've seen, there's certainly no evidence of this within Australia. Within the US, there's a very peculiar debate. This is where a lot of this information comes from, and it's very specific to America. 
The difference between America and other countries is that in America, hate speech, including anti-Semitism, is actually protected by law. It's protected as part of freedom of speech. So the challenge in the US is actually the fact that people have been using the definition to try and crack down on anti-Semitism. And people opposing it are saying, no, anti-Semitism is actually acceptable. We must allow this within our speech, particularly yeah. in universities. And that goes back to US uh, Civil Rights Act that has implications for universities for funding that has been applied to all sorts of other groups, but weren't really successfully applied in the case of anti-Semitism. And there was a big push under the last US administration to say this also needs to apply to anti-Semitism. And what it says is that universities could have their funding withdrawn, their federal government funding, if they create an environment where a group, you know, students can't participate and get an education because the environment is hostile to them. And there was a, an executive order passed by President Trump, which specifically referenced the IRA definition and said that universities should have regard to it, or rather the education department should have regard to it when deciding whether a university is breaching its obligations under the Civil Rights Act. So this is where this debate in the US has come from. And it's a very, it's a very strange sort of argument from the Australian perspective, because we already have laws that yes. deal with hate speech. And in fact, anti-Semitic hate speech and particularly Holocaust denial, you know, has been tried in the courts decades ago. And we know that this is a breach of the law. And that's, you know, no one's disputing that. Whereas in the US, they very much do dispute it. But also, I've, I've got to say that from what I read of the NIF position and the AJDS position, I don't think they're actually on the same page at all, from what I can see. The NIF was arguing that there should be no definition. The last time I heard that argument being made was someone saying, my organization's involved in countering anti-Semitism. We don't want a definition because we want to be able to define for ourselves whatever we say is anti-Semitism to be anti-Semitism, which is sort of the exact opposite of what NIF wants to argue. You know, definition means that there's a standard, there's mm -hmm. consistency, everyone knows what we're talking about, we're all on the same page. No definition just means that the people you say might abuse the definition have nothing constraining them. The NIF argument is, you know, it's not a very good argument from the start. The AJDS position, as I understood it, you know, they say they oppose anti-Semitism. They believe a definition can and should be used for gathering statistics, for assessing whether things are or aren't anti-Semitic, but they have no position on what definition should be used for it. Right. Um, but they're not, they're not opposed to a definition per se. Yeah. Now, the, the argument is once you accept that we need a definition and we want to have consistency yes. and we want to be able to hold everyone making claims of anti-Semitism to the same parameters, to the same bar. Once you decide that, then the IRA definition is really the only definition that has any weight behind it. You know, there's a number of other definitions floating about, but none of these have the sort of legal diplomatic sort of approach that IRA has coming from governments reaching agreement on it, even if it's non-legally binding. The fact that a group of governments come together and say, we all accept this, takes it to a, a very different level, you know, similar to UN uh, treaties and things like that. You know, there's a number of treaties which Australia hasn't implemented into local law. There's some we haven't signed, etc. They still have a role in how the world functions. The IRA definition is up there as something governments have agreed to, which puts it in a very different position to, you know, something a group of academics or a group of Jewish community activists or whatever come up with. Um, you know, it's got standing. And it's a definition that's been accepted by, you know, local councils across the UK, by sports clubs, 
by you know all sorts of non-Jewish groups mm-hmm. as well as by governments, which gives it a lot more weight than something just coming from the community or from academia. Andre Obala, expert member of the Australian government's delegation to the IHRA and CEO of the Online Hate Prevention Institute. Many thanks for joining us on Lachayim and for explaining the importance of the Australian government's adoption of the IHRA's working definition of anti-Semitism. Anyone wishing to support the vital work of the Online Hate Prevention Institute should log onto their website at ohpi.org.au and perhaps we could get together sometime in the near future to discuss the important work of the Institute. Thanks, Andre. Very much appreciated. Thank you, Barry.
Well done, Mori, with Andre Obola discussing anti-Semitism and the IHRA. Yasha Koyak to Andre Obola with his very, very important work. Okay, don't forget next week, Tuesday the 9th and Wednesday the 10th of November, the ZFA's Habayat and Halele Kimchi are presenting Kaveret Hotzeret Greatest Hits, the Platinum Collection, at the Mimo Music Hall in Ackland Street. Tickets are available at zionismvictoria.org.au forward slash Kaveret. And I should mention that our first guest tonight, member for Caulfield, David Southwick, played a big role in getting the go-ahead for the concert to happen. Well done again, David Southwick. I should mention the Liberal Friends of Israel are presenting a meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu, former Prime Minister of Israel, discussing Israel and Australia in a fortnight's time. More about that next week. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the Lachaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Lachaim podcasts are also available at JWire, Digital Jewish News Daily for Australia and New Zealand. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at Lechaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lechaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Mori Frankel and Jeff Deegan. I mentioned last week that Jewish singer David Blatt, better known as Jay Black and the Americans, passed away just on a fortnight ago. He would have been 83 yesterday. Jay Black was also known as The Voice, and very much deservedly so. Three of their big hits from the 60s were Karamia, This Magic Moment, and Come a Little Bit Closer. Here is our little Lachaim dedication to The Voice, Jay Black, with his beautiful, beautiful where is the village? V is the shtetl. J. Black, David Blatt, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. So thank you for tuning in and please join us again next week on L'chaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai and peace. After the war, I returned to my village. My mother, my father, my sisters, my brothers, my sweetheart were all gone. I went down to a river where I used to play as a child, got down on my knees and wept. <laughs>
the place of my youth Where is the girl who kissed me with the truth Where are the young hearts that sang unafraid 